My name is Emma Hurst and I'm a Member of Parliament for the Animal Justice Party. We are a political party that fights for animals in Parliament. Yeah, looking at 2050, I think that looking back, the, the biggest achievement we can get is to really grow this political movement, to really get the numbers and the balance of power. If we have the balance of power, and that could be four or five people within Parliament, then we can dramatically shift the laws and the legislation that is designed to protect animals. We need an independent office of animal protection, which is fully funded by government, that oversees all animal protection issues. And that office can look at the animal agribusiness industry and start to work towards that shift away from the animal agribusiness industry and towards plant-based proteins. It can focus on um, legislation about better protecting animals that are companion animals, for example, and animals that find themselves in pound and homeless animals, um, introduced species. We, we treat introduced species absolutely dreadfully here in Australia. All of that needs to be re-looked at. All of the legislation needs a massive overhaul and we need that fully funded by government. We need to see major, major changes. Um, a huge part of that is reviewing all of our animal protection laws and a huge part of that is setting up an independent office of animal protection that is independent from government but fully funded by government and another large part of that is helping to fund from a government level that major transition away from traditional animal agribusiness and towards a vegan future. The Animal Justice Party was founded in 2009, so we're a fairly new political party. And really we came about because none of the other political parties were really taking animal protection issues seriously. We saw a massive gap in, in animal protection legislation here in Australia. Um, in Australia we've got some of the most cruel industries. We still have millions of hens in battery cages. We still um, export animals live overseas um, despite numerous exposés of extreme animal cruelty. And we even bludgeon joeys to death in the kangaroo meat industry, in the commercial kangaroo meat industry. It's actually in our code of practice that if one of the mothers that is shot has a young, that the joey's taken out of the pouch and actually has his or her head smashed in. Essentially, blunt force trauma is what's in the code of practice. Um, so our legislation is so far behind. It's behind community expectations. It's behind what uh, people really want to see. So the Animal Justice Party was founded really to close those gaps and to ensure that somebody within Parliament was a voice for animals. So it's a, it's a big movement. Um, we've got a lot of public support. People are recognising that animals are sentient beings and that our laws that treat animals as property are, are falling behind those community expectations. I trace my, um, my background into animal protection really when I was a young child and I was actually cradling a hen in my arms and I was cuddling and stroking this hen and the hen was purring and I realised that this hen shows joy in the same way as my cat at home shows joy and as a young child I realised that if I couldn't eat my cat 
then I couldn't eat this hen. And I remember going home and writing letters to my parents to say, you know, I don't want to eat animals anymore. And so I went vegetarian when I was quite young, but it was many years later when somebody just simply handed me a flyer on the street uh, about an animal rights organisation. And I went home and I looked it up and I read about what happens in the dairy industry with calves being taken from their mothers so that their milk could be taken um, and sold for human beings to consume. I read about day-old male chicks being macerated in the egg industry and I just went vegan overnight. And it was actually, you know, reading all this stuff online about what happens in these industries, it was literally like the lights just came on and I realised in that moment that I wanted to spend the rest of my life working to try to protect these animals and to change what was actually happening in these industries. So I was at university at the time, I was studying education. So I decided to change to psychology because I knew that a lot of these issues, this animal cruelty that was happening was a human-caused problem and therefore we needed a human-based solution. We were the solution to what was happening. So I switched to psychology um, I uh, finished my degrees in psychology, I went on to become a registered psychologist and really started to focus on working within animal charities. I've worked in campaigns with animal liberation, um, I've worked as the media officer with people for the ethical treatment of animals, I've worked with World Animal Protection, um, predominantly working within media and campaigns um, around a whole range of different animal issues and my Colleague, my former colleague at Animal Liberation, Mark Pearson, who was elected to the Animal Justice Party, actually approached me one day and said, would you consider running for Parliament? And I guess the question I asked myself is, where am I best placed for animals? And I could see, particularly here in Australia, that we had fantastic organisations like Animals Australia that were, you know, leaps and bounds, they were doing fantastic work in being able to ensure corporate change for animals. And there was a lot of groups also just doing that individual behavior change. So working with people, doing that street activism and convincing people to actually change their behaviors. And Australia is the third fastest vegan growing country in the world. So we're seeing massive changes here. And yet our political system was so far behind. Um, and so I felt that I needed to run into parliament, uh, run to get into parliament, and I could see that there was a huge amount of work to be done. We we're really starting at the bottom because there had been no voice for animals in parliament, um, but it was just such a big gap in the work that we needed to be doing, and so that's why I decided to run for the Animal Justice Party. We've done quite a lot of work within the Animal Justice Party already, so. Um, for the last couple of years, probably one of the big successful pieces of legislation that I've worked on is recognising that animals are victims of domestic violence. So last year we held a roundtable with survivors of domestic violence, domestic violence services, vets, um, authorities that um, investigate animal cruelty and tenants unions and what we realised was there's a massive gap in the legislation that fails to recognise what psychologists know as a link between domestic violence and animal abuse. And that is that animals are also often victims of domestic violence and domestic violence situations. And that people who are the victim of domestic violence will often 
remain in these violent situations because they're unable to actually live with these animals, so they have to stay to protect those animals. So we ended up working with the Attorney General here in New South Wales to pass legislation, and that legislation recognises, first of all, that there is a link between domestic violence and animal abuse. It puts animals onto apprehended domestic violence orders so that they can become protected as well. And we also got half a million dollars to upgrade refuges to be able to also house animals fleeing violence. And we also recognised animal abuse as a form of domestic violence within the New South Wales Crimes Act. So that all went through last year. There's more work to be done. We need to ensure custody orders for animals. We need to ensure that animals are no longer considered property under the law. Um, so there's still so much in that particular space to do, but we've certainly made some, some good headway. Another piece of legislation that we put up last year was to increase the penalties for animal cruelty in New South Wales. The maximum penalty for an act of animal cruelty is just $5,500. So we're seeing really pathetic fines coming out of the court system. Um, over the last couple of years, we saw a, a man and a woman beat a puppy and upload that footage onto the internet, and they received a $600 fine. Another man beat a mother ringtail possum to death and received no fine. Um, in other states in Australia, we're seeing maximum penalties of 40000 50000 but here in New South Wales, $5,500 really implies that animal cruelty is a low-level crime, and it's not. It's a very, very serious crime. So we put up legislation to massively increase the, um, the maximum penalties. We introduced mandatory minimums. Uh, we've also increased on-the-spot fines that authorities can give for animal cruelty. And in response to our piece of legislation, the minister that has control of this act has now put up his own legislation. So we're going to see some massive increases to animal cruelty penalties here in New South Wales. And whatever legislation passes, we will see the toughest penalties for animal cruelty here. Um, so there are a couple of our most recent successes. Um, another one that we're very, very hopeful for I ran an inquiry, so within Parliament we can run inquiries and this is where we get the community involved and other animal protection groups involved. So we were looking at the use of animals in entertainment or so-called entertainment and one of the findings from that inquiry is that the use of cetaceans for entertainment in these dolphinariums is an outdated industry and we need to stop the breeding of more animals into these industries. We have one dolphinarium left in New South Wales and we have SeaWorld in Queensland on the Gold Coast. And what we found in that inquiry is that this is a dying business model, that people aren't interested in seeing these animals being forced to perform humiliating tricks. So um, we're looking now at getting the government to fund a retirement for the current dolphins in New South Wales that are still being forced into entertainment. And we're also looking at making sure that there are breeding bans so that no more industries set up in New South Wales or that industries are able to expand. So we're very hopeful to see um, some wins there hopefully this year. So in, in Australia, we've got very, very wealthy, very, very strong lobbying groups on behalf of industries, particularly on behalf of animal ag. 
Um, so we've got groups like the New South Wales Farmers Federation, um, the egg corporations, and they're here in the halls of parliament and they're, they're pushing their agenda. We've also got a Liberal National Government in power. Um, so this is a coalition of two different sections of government. The Liberal Party are the Conservative Party um, here in Australia, and so they're all about business, they're all about money. But the National Party is a very small party, and they've um, formed a coalition to create power, um, and it's that National Party. Now, they represent the industries that, that use animals for profit, and so this is our biggest hurdle here in New South Wales, is when the National Party is in power. And federally, we've got a Liberal National Government as well. The National Party um, will heavily push against any animal protection legislation that we're trying to get through. Um, and we've seen that at the moment we're fighting even just to ban the intensive factory farming of dogs for, for the pet trade industry. Um, we've seen bans in puppy farming in Victoria. We're seeing one about to go through in Western Australia where we've got Labor governments. But here we've been pressuring the National Party and they're absolutely not budging at the moment. They still won't outlaw the intensive factory farming of dogs. Um, so you can imagine how difficult it is for us to get them over the line on any other animal issues. In my first year in Parliament, um, I ran an inquiry. I was actually the chair of an inquiry on the use of battery cages in the egg industry. Um, I actually had the numbers from that inquiry and the, the evidence was just overwhelming. We had a huge number of submissions from the community that were all wanted to see an end to the use of battery cages in the egg industry. Um, we had welfare experts from the RSPCA. We had scientists talking about how this is the most inhumane system. And when we came to that inquiry about three minutes before the final meeting around that inquiry, the Labor Party flipped and ended up backing industry and caved to lobbying pressure from those lobby groups, from the egg corporations, from the New South Wales farmers. And if you actually have a look at what they caved in on, it's very, very telling. One of the recommendations from the inquiry was to make a definition for what a furnished cage was. Because what came out of that inquiry was that the industry was publicly saying that they were going to get rid of battery cages anyway, that the public had nothing to worry about because battery cages were being phased out. What came out of that inquiry was that the industry's definition of a furnished cage was exactly the same size as a battery cage. So really this was just a marketing strategy. They wanted to tell people that battery cages didn't exist anymore to actually dupe consumers into thinking that they were getting a so-called higher welfare um, product when that simply doesn't exist. So we were fighting against these lobby groups and of course in the end they won. And a lot of that is because these lobby groups are so wealthy, they're so powerful, they've been around for a long time, they take politicians out for very expensive dinners. Um, we actually have to publicly disclose um, when, when we get um, a, a certain amount more money spent on us over $500. And so you look at some of these public disclosures and you're seeing uh, politicians being taken out for lunches that cost $2,000. 
um, from these lobby groups. So that's part of the power play. But the other power part of that power play is that we've got two major parties. We've got the Labor Party and we've got the Liberal Party and they're both fighting for seats and they could win a government based on one or two seats. Now, if you have a look at how the electorates are split up in our states, we're seeing huge regional areas with lots of seats with only a very small voter pool in it, whereas we've got the larger parts of the community who are living in the cities with only one seat to represent them for each different city. So it's not so much a majority, it's who can build the most numbers of seats. And so there's this great fear about losing that regional vote if they were to actually um, work to protect animals instead of working to protect industry. So that's the kind of work that we're being faced with every single day in Parliament when we're advocating for animals. Major donations going to, to different parties. Um, we see major donations going through for um, yeah, election campaigns and, and all of this is public knowledge. Um, we do, and, and there's this um, silence on the animals and I think that that's the other side of all of this is that, you know, even when we were just looking at battery cages and, and we're a vegan party, we're not, um, you know, advocating for free range, but just when we're talking about battery cages, you've got all the industry lobby groups walking up and down the hallways, meeting with every single politician, every single party, even us, um, but for the animals, there's no voice outside of the Animal Justice Party within Parliament. So whenever an animal issue comes up, it's very, very difficult for us to get the animal groups to actually come into Parliament and lobby. Um, most of the work that the animal groups are doing currently in Australia is focused around corporate campaigning, is focused around individual behaviour change, where we're seeing a huge amount of success um, but nobody's really stepping into that political atmosphere and advocating for animals on the halls of parliament. And even though the Animal Justice Party is elected, um, you know, we're one voice, we're one vote in parliament, but we really need those lobby groups to come in and advocate for animals as well so that they have a voice. We've been trying to work out how many um, subsidies the government are giving to prop up these industries. But because so much of it is hidden, it's really hard to know exactly how much these industries are actually getting as part of taxpayers' money. Um, and the same can also be said for animals that are being used in experimentation. Um, it's almost impossible to find out how much of taxpayers' money is actually going into these industries to prop them up and to fund them. Um, so us as taxpayers, we can't get a lot of that information. Um, and it's the same with animal agriculture. We had an inquiry last year where I was the deputy chair into the dairy industry. And what we're seeing is that consumers are starting to change their behaviours. So people in Australia are wanting to consume less cow's milk and they're switching to healthier and, and kinder plant-based milks. So we're switching to things like oat milk and rice milk and almond milk. And as that's happening, the demand for cow's milk is dropping and the supermarkets, because they've got this massive oversupply of cow's milk, they're dropping the price of it. So now the farmers aren't getting enough money for to, to live, to, to get by on the day-to-day -day basis. So we had this inquiry and the farmers are coming in and asking for subsidies to continue to prop up the industry 
So what's happening is as consumers are changing their behaviour and choosing more humane options by going to plant-based milk, their tax is being used to prop up the very industry that they've turned their back on for various reasons. Um, and this is the power of these lobby groups. And this is the power of having minor parties like the National Party, who are, who are quite an extremist party, that are advocating only for those small groups um, to ensure that they're propped up through taxpayers' money. And, of course, a lot of that is so invisible because the subsidies that they're receiving are hidden in things. So we're seeing stuff like um, we will subsidise you an environmental tax if you don't chop down a tree, for example, um, is one of the things that's being discussed now. If you don't chop down trees, we'll pay you money for that on your farmland. Um, and so that in and of itself is really just another subsidy. So there's often legislation that will come through and we have to read very, very carefully through every piece of legislation because often there will be um, tricky little things that they put in through the legislation that will benefit uh, industries that, that use or abuse animals. We even had a situation, um, not last year but the year before, um, where they did a, a massive bill with a whole lot of different small changes and one of the changes that they were looking at including was switching the charge of bestiality into the local courts, which would actually reduce the sentence somebody could get if they were being charged for bestiality. So we actually fought against that. We brought that up in Parliament. We highlighted that the government was actually effectively reducing the charges for bestiality, and we actually got that thrown out. So bestiality remains as, as a much higher crime within New South Wales. Um, but that's another reason why we need to ensure that there's people advocating for animals within Parliament because this isn't something that everybody's looking for when legislation comes through. To really start to develop some change in this area, we need to be really specific and solution-focused. When we want to lobby to government, we have to speak the same language to government. So we need to talk about jobs, we need to talk about money, and we need to talk about solutions. We need to be solution-focused. It's very, very difficult to fight against these very powerful, very wealthy lobby groups when we're just going in and advocating for animals and we're talking about um, some of the cruelty that happens within these industries. We need to come in with a solution and we need to come into a, with a solution that focuses also on jobs and money. So, within this dairy inquiry that that we did within the animal, sorry, within New South Wales Parliament, we actually had a former dairy farmer come and give evidence, and she spoke very openly and very honestly about the animal cruelty, the environmental destruction. Um, she even talked about the the health issues to humans and. It was really interesting because we were also able to talk with her about solutions. And what we talked about was instead of subsidising to prop up this industry for a few more years, moving those subsidies into helping farmers transition into plant-based farming, helping them transition into what consumers were changing their purchasing behaviours into. And this is the language that governments can understand. 
because now we're actually supporting farmers to move the way that consumers are already moving, to move where corporations are already moving. Um, and, and it's just as simple as moving those subsidies to help these industries to actually transition into more humane ways. And if we start to talk to governments about plant-based agriculture, if we start to talk to them about cell-based agriculture, these are major emerging markets. There's so much for potential for new jobs. There's potential for exports. Um, Australia is the third fastest vegan growing market in the world. And our neighbours, China and the um, United, Arab, uh, United Arab Emirates, are one and two. So they're our neighbours. We can build a massive export market in these plant-based proteins, which are growing in popularity, um, build jobs, bring more money into the economy. This is how we end up becoming more solution-focused within government and overcoming some of the pressures that come from those lobby groups. So in, this, in the dairy inquiry that we did, it was very interesting to talk to people within the industry. And when we spoke to one of these dairy farmers, and she talked about a lot of the hardships that these, the farmers are actually going through as well. And of course, if we're going to transition into plant-based agriculture, there's a massive process that needs to happen. So we need to recognize each area that these, um, that these farms are in and which areas are suitable for what type of forms of agriculture. So there's already work that's happening in this in the US um, and I've met with quite a few of the different groups that are working in this area and working out what area of demand that there is, what gaps in export that there is, um, that these farmers can actually fill. So there is a process that needs to take place, um, particularly in Australia. One of the bigger areas that is really affecting a lot of people in rural and regional areas is climate change. We have massive drought in this country. At the beginning of last year, our entire country was on fire and we couldn't even put that fire out. So, you know, these agricultural, um, animal agribusiness is going to constantly make that worse. So we need to actually push to move this transition as fast as possible because we're going to keep having all these climate emergencies um, while we continue to um, promote these industries which are damaging the environment further. But we also need to ensure that it's done in a sustainable way where we can actually build that pro uh, plant-based protein market and where that becomes a, a fully um, functioning industry on its own. We need to recognise that this is an industry that affects both humans and animals. And it's not a matter of um, prioritising humans or animals. It's about finding a solution that works for everyone. And I truly think that these transformation projects are that solution. I believe that we can't get any change unless we fight for change for animals on that individual level and on the corporate level and on the political level. So we can get people to change their purchasing behaviour, we can get corporations to develop these more ethical policies, but while we have governments providing subsidies and propping up these industries, they're going to continue and that's problematic. So we need change in all areas 
And of course, once we get a groundswell in those individual behavior changes, once we get a groundswell in corporate change, then there's pressure to create that political change. And when there's political change, we will see dramatic shifts in animal protection. So we really need lobbying groups for the other side. Now, whether they're funded from individuals that, um, you know, philanthropists that really want to see massive change for animals, um, whether that's coming from some of these big emerging companies from those plant-based meat sectors, um, we really need someone to represent them in Parliament because that's when we're going to see some really rapid change happening. So we need more people coming in and advocating for animals. Now, I know I'm talking about professional lobby groups and, and various roles like that, but every single member of society can get involved. Now, of course, you've got a local representative in Australia, everybody has a local MP. Now they will meet with you. Now it's always a good idea to ask for a meeting with that MP, sit down with them and introduce yourself as the local animal representative. If they have questions about animal issues that they can come to you, find out what some of the local animal issues are and take that to that local representative with solutions. So come to them, talk about some of the local issues but also put forward what it is that you want that representatives to do for you. Run for local council. Um, start getting animal issues on the agenda within Parliament. Um, we need more of us in Parliament. And I know that here in Australia, we've got three members of Parliament. We've got two councillors. And I've also been reaching out and speaking to various politicians overseas who are also vegan, who are also fighting for animals. And we all need to work together globally on this because there's so much each of us can learn from what's happening overseas, what's worked, what's not working, what's successful. And we need to be working together um, as a unified team as well because whatever happens to animals overseas is, is still just as important. And so we need to create that big unified front um, to really see global animal protection. At the moment, the way that the balance of power works for us, and it's all, it's all a numbers game, it's all about how many seats each party has. So for us, we need to get the Greens on side who are an environmental group, so they're often quite supportive of animal issues. We need to get Labour on side, um, who are a fairly sort of centrist, slightly left-leaning party, so we can often get them to support us on things. Um, but then we also need to get at least one conservative vote in the upper house for us to be able to get legislation or something passed. So for us, a lot of our work is trying to get some of these other parties, just putting issues on the table, getting them to think about things. So that might be coming in with issues we're working on things like crush videos. So in the US, um, animal fetish crush videos, which often involve the depiction of animal cruelty um, as a sexual fetish video. Um, recently, there's been a whole lot of laws in the US about the um, production and sale of these videos. We'd like to see similar laws come in through here in Australia. Um, that's the sort of thing where there's no lobby group. So it's the sort of thing that we might be able to get the government on side with. 
The same with the use of cetaceans in entertainment. We've seen overseas um, laws already coming in to protect these animals and activists and animal groups here within New South Wales working with the last dolphinarium to also get them on site to agree to retire these dolphins. So we're able to step in where a lot of that work has already been done. Of course, the animal agriculture industry, the animal agribusiness industry is so much harder to tackle because there's all that money, because there's all those lobby groups, because the major parties are worried about the vote. Um, so that's where we come in with those solution-focused um, shifts like the transformation projects. That's more about pushing the needle at this point because there's only two of us here in New South Wales and one in Victoria. Um, and as our party builds, we'll be able to continue to push that needle towards much, much bigger change. Um, and in the meantime, there are a lot of areas where we can see significant change and a lot of protection for um, for companion animals, for example, for animals that are being forced into entertainment um, and some of those other industries that don't have all the money and the lobbying groups pressuring Parliament. In Australia, it's like at the animal protection legislation has been set up to fail and we get so many complaints that the authorities that have been tasked to investigate and prosecute animal cruelty aren't doing their job. But if you look at this a lot closer, it's actually the government's fault. Um, all animal protection laws have been set up to fail. And you only need to look at um, the current legislation. Every piece of criminal legislation in this country is fully funded by government, except animal cruelty laws. The government in New South Wales pays for 6% of the law enforcement for animal cruelty. And the rest of the money needs to be fundraised by a private charity to raise the money to investigate and prosecute for animal cruelty. Like, can you imagine the police having to run a cupcake day to raise enough money to investigate drug labs? I mean, it sounds absurd. Our taxpayer money pays for the police to investigate and prosecute um, drug labs, drunk driving, all these other pieces of legislation. But animal cruelty has been tasked to a private charity, which does have to fundraise to take all these issues to court. Um, and if you look at their uh, level of prosecutions, I mean, they've had thousands of complaints and they take a very, very minute amount of those complaints all the way to prosecution. And of the ones that are prosecuted, majority of those cases are companion animal cruelty cases. Very rarely do you see the animal agribusiness being investigated or prosecuted. And in fact, over the last financial year, the RSPCA here in Australia only investigated two animal agribusiness industries um, out, of, out of the many, many thousands of intensive factory farms that we have here in the country. Um, so the fact that we need to fundraise, the fact that these these charities are being tasked to uphold the law, sets it up for failure. And of course, then the Minister for Agriculture, the very minister that's tasked with the role to protect the financial benefits of these industries, is also the same minister that gives the power to these charities to prosecute. 
So at any point in time, that minister can recommend that these charities lose those prosecution powers. Um, and so we've got this bizarre system where the Minister for Agriculture is tasked with looking after animal protection and tasked with looking after the financial viability of the animal agribusiness industry. And of course, those two things never go well together. So we've just got this system that is entirely been set up to fail animals, and it is. And at the moment, what we're seeing is animal protection very, very weakly existing in legislation, but never in practice. Yeah, looking at 2050, I think that looking back, the, the biggest achievement we can get is to really grow this political movement, to really get the numbers and the balance of power. If we have the balance of power, and that could be four or five people within parliament, then we can dramatically shift the laws and the legislation that is designed to protect animals. We need an independent office of animal protection, which is fully funded by government, that oversees all animal protection issues. And that office can look at the animal agribusiness industry and start to work towards that shift away from the animal agribusiness industry and towards plant-based proteins. It can focus on um, legislation about better protecting animals that are companion animals, for example, and animals that find themselves in pound and homeless animals, um, introduced species. We, we treat introduced species absolutely dreadfully here in Australia. All of that needs to be re-looked at. All of the legislation needs a massive overhaul and we need that fully funded by government. We need to see major, major changes. Um, a huge part of that is reviewing all of our animal protection laws and a huge part of that is setting up an independent office of animal protection that is independent from government but fully funded by government and another large part of that is helping to fund from a government level that major transition away from traditional animal agribusiness and towards a vegan future. It's really wonderful to have people following the Animal Justice Party. Um, we are on Facebook. I'm also on Facebook. I also have a website, Emma Hurst MP. We also have animaljusticeparty.org, animaljusticepartynewsouthwales.org. Um, so have a look at our campaigns, sign our petitions. If you're in Australia, get involved. We also have regional groups throughout the state. So our regional groups do an enormous amount of work we have actually had six councils ban the sale of fur um, over the last year, and that was during COVID lockdowns. And that's um, work that's done by our regional groups. So we run small localised campaigns to try to convince councils to pass notices of motion, for example. So anybody can get involved and see major changes for animals. We've got more regional group campaigns coming up this year. We're going to be working with councils. We've got 51 beaches in New South Wales that still use shark nets. Um, these are ineffective um, at protecting human lives and they kill so many animals inside the oceans. We need to get rid of these nets. So our regional groups are going to be running campaigns along those beaches to actually get the councils to ban them. So get involved, reach out to us. 
um, follow us on social media if you're not in Australia. Um, we've got a lot of followers from the US and the UK. Um, and of course, it's a really great way, again, when we talk about this whole global movement, because so much of what we do here in Australia is looking at what's happened overseas and learning what's working, but the same can be done in reverse. So have a look at what we're campaigning on um, and, and take it all around the world.